Hi guys, thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the podcast. Quick update, I just passed my year and a half mark. I launched this podcast in September 2017 and I've been really enjoying it as a side project. I've done 41 episodes so far, so after you listen to this one, if you have the time, definitely check out the other 40. I featured guests from all different industries. So episode number 41 is with my friend Carrie Faraday. And before we started recording, we were chatting for a little bit, and I was telling Carrie the process I use for selecting guests. It's important to me that my intention behind each interview is strong, because I know that if my intention is strong, then the result will, will be powerful. I told Carrie that my intention behind interviewing Faraday Brand was not just to highlight their success, but also to bring awareness to a brand that is doing incredibly amazing things for the community and environment. Before launching their business in 2013, they spent a year researching sustainable practices and how they could implement them into their design. What they found was a way to repurpose plastic, such as plastic water bottles, and refine it into yarn. They discovered a process that allows them to offer stylish, comfortable, and casual clothing with a minimal impact on the environment. Plus, their clothing has a lifetime guarantee. Carrie quotes that Faraday brand is as though Ralph Lauren and Patagonia had a baby. I love that. I truly believe that their sustainable practices really set them apart from their competition. Plus, by the time I launch this episode, I think it's going to be just around Earth Day, which is pretty cool, so good timing. Um, So quick background on Carrie, she is from Buffalo, New York, went to Yale University where she met Alex Faraday and then continued on to Pepperdine University for law school. Right before and during law school, Carrie did a ton of traveling to places like Thailand, Armenia, Uganda, and Nigeria where she was exposed to the weight and heaviness of people's realities. For instance, she worked in a home for sexually abused girls in Thailand. These experiences shaped how she looked at the world today, such as how she and the Faraday brand focus on giving back in a way that creates positivity. After law school, Carrie clerked for a judge for two years, and then shortly after, she opened Mindful Mentors in 2009, where she would provide meditation workshops for law firms, schools, and families. While Carrie was busy with Mindful Mentors, her husband Alex and his twin brother Mike were in the midst of getting ready to launch Faraday brand. Alex and Mike had recently quit their corporate jobs in New York City. Alex had worked in finance and Mike had worked at Ralph Lauren. At the age of 30, they were ready to chase their dream of opening their very own clothing brand. During one of those crazy beginning nights of building the brand, Alex looked at Carrie and said, we need you. So in 2012, Carrie became employee number three at Faraday Brand. They officially launched the brand in 2013. They did a 31-day tour around the country introducing the brand, and then ended in Montauk. Yes, Carrie traveled all around the country in a pickup truck with two twin brothers. Carrie was humble enough to share some of the early setbacks, such as when they struggled to meet payroll or when they had to Airbnb their apartment to pay rent. Carrie also talks about becoming a full-time working mom. She and Alex had two adorable little ones. They have a three-year-old and one-year-old today. So fast forward to 2019, the brand just crossed their five-year milestone. Their team, which started out with Alex and Mike and Carrie, now has grown to 50 people in their headquarters in New York City. You can find their clothes on their website, wholesale, and their nine awesome locations around the country, including three in New York City, the West Village, Soho, and then Sag Harbor in the Hamptons, Nantucket, Boston, and four in California, Pacific Palisades, Del Mar, Malibu, and Newport. Hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Carrie as much as I did.
So welcome, Carrie, to High Five Success Stories. So excited to have you here. And as I've told you, I've been following Faraday Brand for quite some time now. And I absolutely love the story behind the brand. So super excited I get to share with the listeners. And I know I've sent you some of the pictures before, but my sister Tara and her husband Jeff, they have three little girls, seven, six, and five. Um, and they always match in Faraday Brand. So when we post <laughs> when we post the interview, I'll make sure to share pictures. Um, and like I said before, I know you're busy not only with the brand, but also with your two adorable little ones. So yeah. I'm really grateful that you took the time for this. So well, it's going to be fun. So anyhow, I'd love to start off by having you provide us with a little bit of background on life prior to Faraday Brand. So can you talk about where you grew up and went to school? Yeah, so I grew up in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. um, which was a great place to like, great place to grow up, and went to Yale University for college. Okay. Um, I played lacrosse there, so I was recruited. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was at Yale, I really fell in love with psychology, okay. and that's what I majored in. Um, I was fascinated by how the brain works. Um, I did my senior thesis on assessing credibility in psychopaths. So cool. Um, was convinced I would be in the FBI one day okay. and actually pursue pursued law school for that reason and for that track. Okay. Before I got to law school, though, I took a year off and spent time in Thailand working okay. at a home for sexually abused girls. Wow. And it was there that kind of the weight and the heaviness of some people's realities really set in. And so... Once I got to law school, I really changed my trajectory from thinking that I would want to do some type of public service or civil service to to doing something in the human rights world. Wow, I love um, it. Yeah, so during law school, I I traveled a lot. I spent time in Uganda, Rwanda, Armenia, Nigeria, and really Thailand, the Thai Burma border. Got exposed to um, just different issues that people were working with across. Or having, you know, having to work through across the globe. Okay. And this is right before law school? This was during law school. During law school. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. And then I wanted to ask you, too, where did you meet Alex? I met Alex the very first day of college. Okay. Um, in La Classe de Espanol, okay. Spanish class. <laughs> okay. Um, and we really became fast friends and started dating sophomore year. Okay. So we now have really been together half our lives. Half our lives. crazy to think about. That's great. And one thing I want to ask you too, so with all your traveling you've done, um, have you learned a lot that has helped you today with the Faraday brand? I think the, the biggest things I've learned have been more like existential, like how am I finding meaning in my life mm-hmm. and how am I giving back in a way that is um, that is creating like positivity. Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to ask you, too, uh, going back a little bit at Yale, because I ask this question a lot for anyone that's been a student athlete, because I did um, track and cross country at Penn, so I'm always interested. So did you learn any life skills by being a lacrosse player for four years? Definitely time management was okay. huge. Um, you know, it's a full-time job playing a sport in college mm-hmm. and having to having to manage that with getting your studies done and also seeing your friends um, really made me figure out how I how best to use my time mm-hmm. and, and made me more efficient. Yeah, that's true. It's almost like after college, it's a little bit easier almost because you're yeah. so busy, you know? I, I kind of found so that true. a little bit. While in law school, I read that you decided to open Mindful Mentors. Is that when that happened or is it right after? 
So I didn't open mindful mentors during law school, but I really deepened my mindfulness practice in law school. Okay. And the reason for that was just I was traveling a lot. I was seeing, um, I was seeing people live in realities that were heartbreaking. So yeah. They were impoverished. Um, they didn't have the, the basic freedoms that we have, mm-hmm. and so to, to deal with some of some of that, I started training in mindfulness at UCLA. UCLA has a mindful awareness research center. Okay. Um, and so I, I actually went to law school at Pepperdine, but during the week I would take classes at UCLA's um, meditation class. Okay. And I found it incredibly beneficial. Um, and I never thought I would ever teach meditation. I was simply doing it to really help myself. Okay. So, okay. So you went to Yale and then you took a year off and you're traveling and then you went to law school at Pepperdine and then also did the mindful classes. So then what happened when you graduated from Pepperdine? After I graduated from Pepperdine, I moved back to New York city and started clerking for a judge. Okay. Which I loved. Yeah. Um, and I spent two years doing that and um, still thought that I would eventually do the, continue to pursue the human rights path. And while I was clerking, I actually took a year-long intensive seminar on trauma and mm-hmm. f- figuring out tools that people can use um, collectively as communities mm-hmm. to work through trauma. Okay. Um, and... There was also like a strong mindfulness lens in that class as well. But when it came time after my clerkship to find the next step, I couldn't really figure out where I wanted to go. I didn't necessarily want to go into a nonprofit. I didn't necessarily want to go to a traditional law firm. Mm-hmm. And I had started teaching meditation on the side just to friends okay. and um, friends' children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was teaching a little bit in the court system through my judge and I started to just, it started to pick up and it was the first time I thought, wow, I could actually do this for a living. Right. Um, and in 2009 founded the mindful mentors, um, which was to, to teach mindfulness to students and kids and schools and lawyers. Amazing. And then how old were you at that point too? Just so I understand. Oh my gosh. So I was, it was 2009. How old? Probably 28. 28. Okay. Got it. Okay. So you were doing that in 2009. And then, and what was it like when you did those, um, you know, mindful workshops? Like what did it, what did it entail? It really depended who I was teaching to. Okay. Usually to, my whole thing about meditation is, you know, we take our lives so seriously, mm-hmm. we do not need to take meditation so seriously. And okay. I think there's a barrier to entry because people have misconceptions as Got to it. what it is. Okay. So I really tried to talk about it um, in very um, accessible terms. Um, and for some for some um, clients, I would create eight-week curriculums for them. Mm-hmm. For example, like an all-boys school on the Upper East Side. If it was a law firm, I would go in and it would just be an hour-long class and I would talk about it for a little bit. Okay. I would walk them through some guided meditations and then there'd be a question and answer at the end. Okay. Um, I love it. I definitely want to, as we talked before, I want to take a deep dive into meditation because I've recently gotten into it in the past six months. So I definitely want to touch on that um, at some point in our conversation. Okay, so how long did you work at where you started Mindful Mentors, but how long did you do that for before you jumped into the Faraday brand? 
I would say a year and a half or two years okay. into it, Alex and Mike um, decided that it was really time to launch Verity Brand. Okay. Um, and so I was, I helped them launch it, but I, I wasn't convinced I wanted to do it full time. Okay. But about three months, three months in, um, Alex just looked at me and said, you know, I need you. And so I really put mindful mentors on hold and okay. jumped in, um, full force of Verity. Full force. I love it. And that was in 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So 2012, you joined the Twin Brothers. Um, so would love for you to tell the listeners, um, for people that aren't familiar, like what is Faraday Brand? Um, how, how and why did it originate? Yeah, so Faraday is a, a casual clothing line that's really focused on um, beautiful craftsmanship and okay. sustainability. And the, the idea came about when the boys were growing up. They were surfers, they grew up in a beach town, and they loved really casual, fun, colorful, comfy clothes, Mm -hmm. but they grew out of surf clothes, and so they were looking for something that was higher quality. Um, And when Mike was in in high school, he actually wrote his college essay on starting this brand one day. He went on to college and studied fashion design there um alex has always been more um the more linear logical get shit done mind Mm -hmm. um he went on to college and did political science and then was in finance and so together they they knew at some point in their 20s they would quit their jobs and Mm -hmm. start the brand and that's exactly what happened what happened yeah because how long did they each work in the corporate world for Around seven or eight years. Seven or eight years. Okay, got it. So then that would put them like just around 30 when they started it? Okay. So, um, and how is Faraday Brand different from other clothing companies? So I like to say Faraday is as if Ralph Lauren and Patagonia had a baby. I love that. (laughs) The quality and the attention to detail and craftsmanship and the creation of prints Mm -hmm. is something we really pride ourselves on, but we also really focus on sustainability. How are we doing the least harm to the environment as we can, which is we try to use organic cotton, all of our swimwear is made of recycled polyester, Um, and then community is something that's really important to us. So Mm -hmm. yes, we are a clothing brand, but how are we making an impact and bringing people together inclusively in our communities? Yeah. I love that. Did you have any hesitation working with two brothers? Like, did you encounter any naysayers when you told your friends and family that you were going to go and work with the brothers? I, you know, Alex and I had been together for so long Mm -hmm. that at that point there weren't going to be any surprises. Okay. But it was definitely a really big deal. And it was, Alex and I got married and then Alex, Mike and I all moved in together. We shared one apartment together. We were spending 24-7 living together, launching the, the company. And mm-hmm. um, it's, I mean, it's a lot. It's a right. lot to do anything with someone that much. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it's also what helped us become successful quickly because we really relied on each other and everyone had a different skill set. Okay. And then I also wanted to talk about that first year of when you launched the company because I read that you guys did like a 32-day tour around the country. And again, mm-hmm. it was you were with the twin brothers spending a lot of time with them. Um, so can you tell us about this experience and maybe also talk about what you learned about the brand and your customer base? So, yes, yeah, so we did a 30, 32-day 
tour around the country. Okay. Um, we had a pickup truck and our, our mobile store hitched to the back. Um, I sat like bitch seat in the middle of the pickup <laughs> truck most of the time. And we would drive really long hours and sleep at motels overnight. But it was really incredible because we really got to spread the word of the brand in an extremely grassroots, localized way. Mm-hmm. Like we would pull up to a local store um, and meet people and, and tell them about the brand. Uh-huh. Sometimes we would like stop at a ice cream store or go to a hotel or go to um, a restaurant. We kind of, anyone that would have us, we were mm-hmm. like, great. It's an opportunity to tell people what we're doing and who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, for us as a family brand, it was so important to have that face-to-face interaction. And I think a lot of brands these days, they start online mm-hmm. um, and don't have that face-to-face personal connection. Right. Um, and, you know, so many of the the people who have been following us and supporting us and customers for years happened on that road trip. On the road trip. And then didn't you guys end in Montauk? We ended in Montauk okay. and we rented a house there for the month and, and left our mobile store at the back. Um, and, yeah, and that was really fun too. Right. Such an incredible way to market and spread the word too. Now, with a lot of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed, they say that they become, you know, really passionate and enthusiastic about their idea that suddenly doors begin to open. So did you have any major breaks in that first year that helped get Faraday Brand, you know, off the ground? Um, yes. And it's interesting. It never seems to me like there's one big breakthrough okay. in our, at least, history. Mm-hmm. But there have been a lot of just plugging away, making the right decisions, or having people who really believed in us open up doors. So we started doing um, trade shows, um, and as different retailers decided to sell us, um, that helped us build momentum. We decided to open up a a store pretty early that we could have both our office and a place for our customers to see the line, and that was definitely a game changer for us to have our own retail place. Mm -hmm. And then continuing to sell the, to tell the story online. Um, I love that. And then, isn't it true that you guys were like living in the store at one point in the very, very beginning? Yeah, it didn't last long. <laughs> when, when, my, when employees would come in and I'd be in my towel, I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> I love that you guys share that though, because it tells the listeners, you know, that the beginning can be really, really hard. And I think people forget that because they see you guys now and, you know, they see you guys on Instagram and you guys are killing it and you guys have eight stores. But I think it's important for listeners to realize that, you know, success doesn't happen overnight and that, you know, everyone's human and experiences setbacks and failures. So can you provide the listeners um, with any setbacks that you guys experienced during those first couple of years of launching the company? Oh, so many. I mean, I think it's, it's really stressful having your own business Mm -hmm. because it's all up to you. And there would be times when particularly financially, like Alex, Mike and I all had quit our jobs to start this, but that had had steady income. Um, and there would be times when it'd be at the end of the month and we didn't have enough money for payroll Mm -hmm. and people were relying on us to help pay their rent. And that creates incredible stress. Mm -hmm. There'd be times we were Airbnb our apartment just so that we could, we could make sure that the company had cash in the bank. Mm -hmm. Um, we all lived together. We, 
every vacation, even now, for the most part, so many of our vacations are still tied to work. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to be visiting a store? Or, Mike, are we going to be visiting a factory? Okay. Um, so it, the delineation between work and personal life when you have your own business quickly becomes non-existent. Okay. And then how did you maintain a positive attitude during those hard times, like when you guys were trying to, you know, meet everyone's paycheck? Yeah. I mean, mindfulness for sure was has always been important mm-hmm. to me as a centering point. Um, therapy was amazing, and okay. I still go. And Alex and I went together when, when we were, you know, feeling like there were breaks in communication or we weren't seeing each other as husband and wife, mm-hmm. but just seeing each other as business partners. Right. My group of girlfriends is incredible, and I really rely on them for a lot of emotional support, family. Um, yeah, really relationships are what help, yes. help ground me, both yeah. my relationship with myself and relationships with others. With others, yeah. And so I work with a family company, too, so I get it that there's, you know, there's lines that can be crossed. So um, I work with my brother, and I've worked with my sister and my dad, so I get the fact that, you know, there's lines, definitely. But I think that at the end of the day, there's a lot more positives than negatives of working with family. Would you agree with that? Yes, for sure. Okay. So I also want to talk about that first year. I read a lot how um, it was Mike who traveled a lot to really research the different factories you guys were going to use in order to um, make sure, you know, that you you would follow through with your sustainable product. So can you talk about that? Because I think that's really cool. Because I don't think a lot of, you know, brands really do that. And I think it's cool that you guys took the time and energy too. Because it was our own, we had the opportunity to really figure out, okay, what do we want this to look like? Mm-hmm. How do we want to design? How do we make sure that the, the clothes that we're buying are will last a really long time? Mm-hmm. That's also something in terms of sustainability is not necessarily invest, investing in cheap clothes that won't last a while. Right. Um, and I think that's what we've, we've been seeing, this fast, fast fashion model where people just, like, buy for a season and throw it out. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we want, a lot, we want to design clothes that last a very long time. Right. And let's, let's research innovative things that are happening in the fabric world that are worth investing in. Like, swim. If all of swim, or the majority of swim, is made of polyester, mm-hmm. can we use recycled polyester made from recycled plastic bottles mm-hmm. instead of making polyester okay if we're going to be using cotton can we use organic cotton mm-hmm. which doesn't have the chemicals and the pesticides that then go into waterways and and impact people's health in those communities mm-hmm. so um those type of decisions were things that we from that from the get-go wanted to wanted to research and focus on mm-hmm. and i think that sets you guys apart from other brands which i think is so cool You know, I think a lot of people also say that, you know, retail is dead because, you know, everyone's shopping online, but you guys have eight successful stores, I think over the past five years. So why do you guys believe in the, um, the brick and mortar, uh, stores? We believe in it because number one, I still shop in stores Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think shopping is an activity that is fun for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think traditional retailers like malls, people are changing that, but at the end of the day, people like walking into stores. They like touching things. They like Mm -hmm. the social experience of it. We also love community. And so we like to see our customers and talk to our customers and have events in our stores. Mm -hmm. 
the other thing that people don't really talk about is it is very expensive to acquire customers online. Mm -hmm. If you don't know about us, I don't know how you're going to find us online. Right. Unless you Google Faraday. Okay. And so it, you know, it's a, it's great organic marketing to have a retail store that people just walk by and they're like, Oh, this is interesting. Let me pop in. Yeah. That's so true. I'm in real estate too, and I, I can attest to the fact that I really don't think that retail is dying because you're, you're seeing a lot right now where there's even like empty, you know, warehouses, which they're converting to really cool centers that will also have retail plus like restaurants. So they're really, you know, people are getting creative. So I honestly, just being in the real estate industry, I don't think it's dead. So I think you guys are on the right track there. Also, I wanted to ask you too, so what role do you play at Faraday Brand today? So my role at Verity is really focused on people and partnerships. So I make sure that the culture at the company is the way it should be. I head up um, HR. Okay. Because of my legal background, I do do some of the legal work. And Mm. then it's also spearheading Sun Sessions, which is our event series around community conversation and creativity. Mm. So you wear a lot of different hats, too. Yes. Being in a startup, yeah. So I know that you said you work a lot, like, you know, in relationships and branding and everything. So do you have any tactics on managing people? Oh, man, that's something that I continually am trying to get better at. Mm. Um, One of our big mantras is just giving feedback as it comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, So Radical Candor is a book that we've all read. Okay. And it's just making sure that as things come up that are bothersome or that are great, that you're articulating them. Okay. And that's a constant reminder. It's so easy for us just to spin in our minds and like, oh, I wish that was done differently. Um, So really articulating things as they arise. Okay. I like that. And I actually just read, I don't know if you've read the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he has a good quote about managing people. He said, don't tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do and let them surprise you. So, mm, I, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then I also love to talk about the art of listening. So I think listening is an activity, um, you know, that's a practice you have to do a lot to become to become good at. I'm still struggling at it. And I bring this up a lot. So they said a CEO of a company you know, they were in a meeting and he kept writing down on his yellow notepad, DNT. And so one of the employees after the meeting saw and asked what it meant. And he said that it re- reminds him, do not talk. This way he can practice listening, you know, to his team members. So how do you practice the art of listening? Well, listening for me actually comes much more easily than telling people what to do. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think so much of it is people want to feel heard, Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily even want things changed right away. They just want to feel heard, and I think that's the way that we can make people feel most seen, just by asking them questions and then listening to their response. Yeah, and making them feel significant, too, and respected. Mm -hmm. So I know that you are a full-time working mom with two little ones, and how old are they again? Three and one. Three and one. Okay. I'm 31, so a lot of my friends are just starting to have kids and then, you know, also working. So would love for you to offer any advice to new moms on how to juggle, you know, working full time with the two kids. I mean, it's really (laughs) hard and exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think everyone talks about making time for yourself, but that can be really hard. But for me, it's just having a bath at the end of the day. That's like my time. Even when I had a newborn, I would just bring the newborn in the bath with me. Yeah. Um, 
I, I feel like I have to wash off the day. That okay. is my practice. Yeah. And I think it's finding a practice and it, it might only be five minutes. It might only be a cup of coffee. You might not get your workouts in. Mm-hmm. You might not get, you know, the normal things that you used to do, but allocating a little bit of time to reset is mm. so helpful. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's intimidating and overwhelming for people that, cause I have a, bunch of friends. One just had a baby seven weeks ago. Another one's having one in June. So what would you tell them as well, the people that are just about to have the kids? Oh man, what would I tell them? (laughs) I would tell them that my whole thing is I don't really think people tell you enough how boring it is to be a parent. Mm -hmm. I find that I I love my kids. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with them, but I don't actually love being a parent. Okay. And the act of washing up after them and giving them baths and making Mm -hmm. sure they have meals and playing with them on the ground can be really painfully monotonous. Mm -hmm. But it's also for me right now, like my, that is my meditation practice. Okay. I might be present with my kid as it's happening, even when I'd rather be someplace else. Someplace else. I like that a lot. Do you guys use them also for models a little bit for Faraday Brand? We do. We totally. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. So for the listeners that don't know, um, I'll post it on my Instagram when we when we post the interview. Would also love to take um, a deep dive into meditation because I know that that you know that plays a big role at Faraday Brand. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast, but a he, little bit, yeah. Okay, so he's um, interviewed like close to four hundred people, and what's interesting is that he says that ninety. 5% of the people that he interviews, and he interviews people from all walks of life, they all practice mindfulness, 95%. So, and yeah, and I just listened to podcasts with Oprah and the CEO of LinkedIn, and he kept coming back to the word mindfulness. So some people, you know, define it as being in the present moment. Others define it as doing 10 minutes of meditation each morning on, you know, an app such as Headspace. So I know mindfulness is very important to you. So I would love to know what it means exactly to you. Yeah, for me, mindfulness is being right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the formal practice of sitting, okay. where you sit and you anchor in, into your breath or whatever sensation you want to anchor into mm-hmm. um, to keep the mind returning to the present moment. Okay. And then there's also just the informal practice of paying attention mm-hmm. during the day to what you're doing as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. How were you introduced to meditation? I grew up with a mom who was very into yoga. Okay. Um, and so in high school, I started going to yoga classes with her, and we would listen to chanting on uh-huh. the way to work, on the way to school. Yeah. Um, I really formalized my practice after I was in Thailand. Okay. Um, I the last week in Thailand, I, I spent time in a Buddhist monastery, and that was really the opportunity to see how it works and its benefits. Yeah. And so from there, that was really when I, I, I committed to incorporating meditation into my day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to someone who's wants to get into meditation? Because I think it's hard. I just started it six months ago. I do 10 minutes every morning, but it took a while to kind of get used to it and see the benefits. But now it's like, you know, the, the more it's still kind of hard for me to sit down for 10 minutes in the morning, but I see the benefits throughout the day more. So yeah. would love for you to offer any advice to someone that might be listening and might want to um, get into the practice. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we practice meditation not to get good at meditation. Mm -hmm. We practice meditation to get better at life. Okay. And so whatever happens in those moments that you are meditating, whether your mind is wandering and you can't focus and you feel restless, the act of sitting with those feelings and Mm -hmm. not leaving and not moving is in and of itself so impactful. Mm -hmm. And so would you recommend any um, like apps or books or anything? I think the biggest thing is finding something that works for you. Okay. Finding an app. Um, I like Insight Timer. They have a bunch of different types of meditations that you can listen to. Mm. Um, so for some people, I think having a nice guided meditation is wonderful. Okay. Um, some people just simply focusing on the breath is sufficient. Okay. Um, I, I, I always caution like telling someone where they should go because so much of it is just finding something you need if if you're just starting meditation the biggest part is just continuing with it okay so you should find whatever works that makes you want to continue yeah I love that and I love how you practice it too it's just being in the present moment you know with your kids um I've listened to a podcast with Oprah again recently and she says that the biggest form of meditation is literally just being in the present moment which I think is, it's hard to do today, especially with all the distractions. But if you can really focus on that, I think it will definitely go a long way. Yeah. So how do you guys incorporate mindfulness into Faraday Brand? So we do um, meditation every weekly morning meeting that we have. Oh, cool. Um, and there have been times when people in the office have felt like incredibly anxious or struggling with anxiety. And I've brought them into a room and done yeah. one-on-one mindfulness sessions with them okay um we have an event series called sun sessions which mm-hmm. the root of it was really music and mindfulness it's okay. since expanded from there but we always have meditation at every sun sessions event we do yeah and those have been from small listening concerts and dinners to okay. concerts for 500 people yeah and then it's just like being mindful in terms of like our management techniques. So are we being authentic? Are we right. delivering on promises? Are we listening? Are we being kind? Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And I love the sun sessions too. I did, um, I read a little bit about it. Didn't you just have a meditation uh, retreat a couple weeks ago? We just had a retreat. There, it, okay. I wouldn't say it was a full-fledged meditation retreat, but okay. meditation was a part of it. Okay. Um, it was it was a weekend on expansion, so different speakers, activities, programming. Right, films. I love that. Well, I love that you guys incorporate it, incorporate it into the company. I think it's definitely you know will go a long way. So I have a few rapid fire questions I wanted to ask you. What advice would you give to your thirty year old self? So selfishly, I'm thirty one, so I always ask people the guest. Stop trying so hard. I like that too. And then if you could give one book to every person, what would it be? A Path with Heart by Jack Cornfield. Oh, I've heard about that. I'm going to so um, put it in the show notes for sure. And then I also want to hear um, the, you know, any last departing words you might have for the listeners, where they can find Faraday Brand um, and where they can follow you guys and learn more too. Yes, yeah, so you can follow us on fairytybrand.com or okay. at fairytybrand for Instagram. Okay. Um, check out our sun sessions, okay. which we're, we're kind of we're hosting mainly in New York, but all around the country. Okay. Um, yeah, engage with us. Email us. Perfect, yeah. Well, Carrie, that was so much fun. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. 
To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.